0: Hey, welcome to Anderson Hills United Methodist Church, um, or as we like to call it, the meat locker. Um, (laughs) Not sure why it's 63 degrees in here today, but it is. I apparently chose the wrong shirt to wear. Half expected to get up, look back in the audio booth, and see penguins dancing around, holding hands. Does anyone have a sweater I can borrow? I look good in pink. Anybody got a pink sweater? No? All right. Hey, we are in week two of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I mentioned last week it's kind of odd to preach a sermon on a sermon, but that's exactly what we're doing, and we'll be doing it for the next several weeks um, through the last Sunday in July. And last week, for those of you that were here, uh, you know that we took a look at the first 12 verses of the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew And we talked about what it looks like for us to be true disciples of Christ. What does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And for this, we used what are commonly referred to as beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when people persecute you. We talked about all those different things. And this morning... We pick up Jesus' words in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. But before we do that, I have something else that I would like to read this morning. Um, this is from another book in Scripture, the book of 1 Peter, written, of course, by Peter. And this is the message transliteration, and I just want, I just want you to listen to this, because I think it's a good place to start for us this morning. Peter says, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives, I can still remember the first time that I realized that this world is not my home. I was in college; it was my freshman year uh, of college, to be specific, and and actually, it was kind of almost pre-freshman year of college. I had been, um, I had auditioned for a singing group um, that was out of the. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for, admissions department, I guess, in the school where I attended. And we would travel around, it was a Baptist school, and so we would travel around to various churches and missions and different places, and we would perform um, contemporary Christian music when contemporary music was still kind of like a new thing. And then we would stay after and and meet and mix and mingle with adults and with youth and high school students and so on and so forth, and we would kind of talk about the school and promote the school in that way. And we had gone to Toledo, uh, Ohio, for a concert, And we were there and we were just kind of in kind of a rough part of Toledo, a lot of things going on at that time. And I could just remember like for some reason on that day we were on mission, we were at this mission house working and I was just kind of hearing some of the hurt and some of the pain around me and and specifically we were doing like a boys and girls club and I can remember some of the kids and some of the things they were saying and just thinking man they sound completely hopeless and I don't know, I just remember very distinctly that it dawned on me in that moment that you know what Matt, that's why this world is not your home. That's why this world is really meant to be a temporary residence, to be a temporary place. There's something uh, much bigger than this that is really your home for all of eternity, and it's called heaven. And that doesn't mean that we're to, like, waste our time here on earth. It doesn't mean that we're just kind of to get through it as fast as we can to get to our more permanent, eternal place. It actually means quite the opposite, And so with that in our mind, with that kind of in our frame of reference, I want us to listen to Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 13, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What Jesus is essentially saying is it can't. It can't be made salty again. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. have heard this passage before, salt of the earth, light of the world, absolutely. So one of the most challenging things as a pastor is to preach a text that 90% of your congregation have heard before, and probably not just heard before, but actually like studied or heard referenced or heard preached on or, or broken down through Bible study or whatever. It's like, man, what do I give them that they haven't been given before? So we'll see at the end of this, you can grade me, you can tell me how I did when we're all done here, okay? Those who have chosen to live a kingdom-style life, just like we talked about last week with the Beatitudes, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, should have influence upon the world. And so Jesus uses two metaphors to describe this, salt and light. Citizens of the kingdom of God, followers of Christ, those who lovingly live for and serve Jesus are to be salt and light. How? What does Jesus mean by this? So I want to take these one at a time. The first one is this, salt. All right, so what is salt used for? Well, in our day and time, salt is used for many purposes. It's used to add flavor to food. It's used to draw water out of uh, foods. It's used to cure food for longevity. It's used to melt ice on slick roads. We know a little bit about that in uh, southwest Ohio. But what about in Jesus' day and time? What did Jesus have in mind when he said that believers are to be salt of the earth? I don't think it means that we're supposed to go melt the ice. (laughs) Based on the context, Jesus is first and foremost picking up salt's ability to enhance the flavor of that which is otherwise bland. They didn't have, you know, a whole aisle of various types of seasoning at Kroger in Jesus' day, right? They pretty much had salt. So through the metaphor of salt, Jesus illustrates that from God's point of view, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven give the world what good flavor it has. We are to be flavor providers for a world that is otherwise kind of flavorless, that is otherwise kind of bland, kind of ordinary, kind of ho hum. Salt, however, had another vital purpose in Jesus' day. Salt was also used as a preservative. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he may also have meant that all of his disciples were to serve as preservatives. Preservatives, stopping the moral decay in a sin-infected world. Those first disciples would have been intimately familiar with this function of salt. Think about it. Many of them were fishermen. Without refrigeration, the fish that they caught would quickly spoil and rot unless they packed it in what? Salt. And once salted, the fish could then be safely stored and used when needed. In the same ways, the spiritual health and strength of the Christian is to counteract the corruption that is in the world. Christians as salt are to inhibit sin's power to destroy lives. This in turn creates opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and received. So we've been given this wonderful privilege by God to be the salt of the earth. But but Jesus also gives us a warning In the second half of Matthew 5.13, he says, But if salt loses its taste or loses its saltiness, how can that saltiness be restored? This salt is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by man. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is not saying that we can lose our salvation. He is, however, saying that we can lose our saltiness. In other words, we can lose our effectiveness. When salt is contaminated, it becomes corrosive. It becomes poisonous. Contaminated salt could not even be used for fertilizer on the field. It had to be thrown onto the road where it was trampled out by men. And so, church, if we allow disobedience, carelessness, indifference, apathy to rule in our lives we become like contaminated salt. We lose our saltiness. When we realize the dark place that we're in, we need to confess our sin and let the Lord restore us to the purpose for which we were called and created. Salt. You are to be salt of the earth. I am to be salt of the earth. We are also to be light. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. As salt, the Christian is to counteract the power of sin. As light, we are to illuminate or make visible. Our lives are to be an ongoing witness to the reality of Christ's presence in our lives. When we worship God with pure hearts, when we love others as ourselves, and when we do good without growing weary, we are lights shining. It is important, however, to know that it is not our light, but the reflection of the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself. That's what God wants for people to see in us. So imagine as if you're just kind of carrying with you this this giant body-sized mirror where anytime anybody looks to you, they see a reflection of him. That's how we are to be the light of the world. Jesus is saying that our faith must be seen in action, visible to others. We're like luminaries reflecting the one true light. Just as the moon reflects the sun, we are to reflect his sun. We're to shine in such a way that it inspires others to proclaim the praises of God and to glorify his name. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For you were once darkness. Not you were once in darkness, but you were once darkness. But now you are light. Light in the Lord. Live then as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. The apostle Paul says, believers, you are to live as children of light. Believers are like the beacon that a lighthouse emits. That beacon is bright and unmistakable in its purpose. It warns of danger. It directs to safe harbor. It provides hope for those who have lost hope. Every day we are surrounded by people groping around in the darkness, separated from the God who loves them. And God wants to use his children like beacons from a lighthouse to show these people the way out of darkness, to show them the way to him. So the question is, where are you shining? Where are you shining? Into whose life are you currently shining his light? So we're to be salt and we're to be light. And you'll notice that Jesus does not say, You might be salt. You could be salt. You should be salt. What does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There was and still is an expectation that we, as believers in Christ, do good deeds and have Christ-like character. It's not an option. It's an expectation, an expectation that others would look at us and see not us, but him. It's expected. We've spent a lot of time over the past few months talking about revival in this church, revival in this community, revival in this city that we want to see, that we want to experience real revival. Well, guess what? Revival starts with me. Revival starts with each and every one of us. It starts with us cleaning the junk out of our lives and then being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We have to be the salt and light wherever we are and with whomever we are with. Many of you do this. As I was writing this sermon, I could, I I mean, it was like a Rolodex in my head. I just started thinking of all the people in this church with whom I know are being this salt of the earth, with whom I know are being this light of the world. They're out there daily in their workplaces, in their schools. Some of our teenagers are doing an incredible job at being salt of the earth, at being light of the world, at making a difference in other people's lives, at reflecting The glory of God unto others. But you're out there in your workplaces, in your schools, even in your homes, in your community, in your neighborhoods, and you're being the salt and you're being the light, and that's what it's about, and that's where revival starts. Either we are salt and light by the grace of God, or we are willfully disobeying the one who saved us for such a time as this. Again, Jesus doesn't say you can be if you'd like. He says you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If we are being salt and light, then we can expect fruit from our faithfulness. If we are not being salt and light, then today is the perfect time to repent to turn from whatever it is that's distracting us, from whatever it is that's keeping us from a close relationship with Christ, that's keeping us from being that salt preservative. It's keeping us from being that beacon of light. This is our commission, and in his strength, we will experience this reality, to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16 It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. This is Jesus speaking to John. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. How many of you have heard this verse before, this passage of Scripture? Several of you. Now, when I was a kid growing up and first experienced this text, I was... Taught wrongly. I was I was taught the wrong understanding of this text. I, I was taught that what Jesus really wants is for us not to be cold in our faith, but to be really hot, really on fire for Him. And that's actually a really poor understanding and interpretation of this passage. So so let me explain a little bit. So this is one of the letters to the churches in the beginning of Revelation. Okay, specifically the church at Laodicea. And Laodicea had perpetual problems with its water supply. Its water supply was brought by an aqueduct six miles from the south. And so you can imagine that in those days, with that technology, by the time water reached Laodicea, it had become what? Lukewarm. It was tepid. It was unclean. It was undrinkable. It was the kind of water that made people sick, that would make them want to spit it or vomit it out of their mouths. And so that's what Jesus is getting here. You see, if something is extreme, in extreme cold temperatures, things happen. Right, 32 degrees, I'll give you an easy one. What happens? Water, there you go. Water boils, 212, 212 degrees, is that right, Fahrenheit? It depends on the elevation, it's really confusing. I don't know, something like that. Don't stick your hand in to check it, that's all I will tell you. Extreme cold, extreme hot, things happen. Right? There's, there's a response, there's a reaction, something happens. When it's lukewarm, it's not good for a lot of anything. You want cold ice water to drink. You want hot water for your tea. You don't necessarily want room temperature water. And so what Jesus is saying here is not be really hot and on fire. What he's saying is, man, may your faith make a difference. May it make an impact. And that's the deal. We are to be the salt. We are to be the light because we are to make an impact on this world. So are you the salt of the earth? Are you adding flavor, faithful flavor to the world? Are you working hard to preserve what God intended when he masterfully created this world? Are you working hard to stop the moral decay of a generation? Are you light of the world? Are you a beacon of hope to an otherwise dark world? Are you a reflection of the goodness and grace of God to the people that you do life with? We are called to influence the world for Christ, we are called to point others to Christ by our words and by our actions. that's who we are, and it's who we're supposed to be. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to each of his disciples, and he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then likewise, at the end of the meal, he took the cup. And after blessing it, he said, this cup represents a new covenant. The forgiveness of sins for all people by my blood. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so today as we partake in Holy Communion, in bread and in juice, may we remember our command to be salt of the earth and to be light of the world, and to make an impact for Christ. And so God, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just rain down, and that you would just make this bread and this cup be for us the body and blood of Christ, broken and spilled for us. And that God, as we partake in Holy Communion this morning, that we would do it in community with you and with these other believers. that we would do it in such a way that it honors you and that it brings you glory and that it brings you praise. And God, may we remember as we dip the bread in the cup this morning that we ourselves are to add flavor to the lives of other people, that we are to be a light not hidden under a bowl but set out on a stand so that those around us in this world can see you and praise you. God, help us to live the kind of life that you would have us to live. Help us to be the kinds of people that you would have us to be. And help us to pray now in the words that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever